worship team. We've been doing a study on uh, Bible basics. We've talked about who God is and what you can see from creation, and we talked about the Bible and how we know it's reliable, and then again last week on God, and what does the Bible teach us about God, and so we got some more specifics, and today I was going to talk about our problem. What is the issue? What has uh, caused difficulty for the world and difficulty for humanity, and uh, you notice that the title is, What's Your Problem?, well, I was going to deal with the passages in Revelation or in uh, Genesis. That's the opposite end of the Bible. Uh, Genesis one through three, and specifically chapter three. Uh, but something came to my attention, uh, Corwin's attention this week, uh, through things that uh, taken place in church. I'm going to ask Tyler to come and share. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit. What happens when there is uh, I guess, sin in the camp. What happens when there's sin in the church? How do we deal with that? How do we uh, handle it? And there, there are different things. The Bible's pretty clear. And uh, we'll just give you the mic. And let, Tyler has been in our church for, what, eight years? Eight, nine years? You've been working with the youth. He's been working with our youth for at least seven years. Uh, he also works on our soundboard in the back and has been doing that for quite a few years. So he's an important part of our church. Uh, I really appreciate Tyler. I respect him and his life and uh, just the ministry he's had here. But recently, Tyler found that uh, life changed drastically. And I'm going to let Tyler share a little bit of that. And then we're going to go back and look at the Word of God and see how it relates. Now, let me tell you something right up front. Um, We'll talk about church discipline a little bit. This is not a disciplinary action. Tyler does not have to be here. I told him he did not need to come up here, but he wants to explain to the church where he is and what's taken place. Uh, what's taken place in his life? He's already asked God's forgiveness, and the Bible basically says we're fine there and should be. But I also know uh, this can be a very visible thing, and people can begin to talk about different things, and it's already out there, so... Uh, we want to deal with it effectively. I probably, different churches, I may not do it this way. A uh, large church, maybe not, but it infects, uh, affects the, the congregation in a smaller one. So do you want to share with us why you're here a little bit, Tyler? Would you do that, please? I would. Good morning. Uh, so um, I'm here, uh, like Andy said, because my life has changed. Um, I am a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God. Uh, in a more recent incident specifically, um, as a result of that, uh, my girlfriend and I are expecting a child. Um, I have already asked God for forgiveness. Um, I know that he's faithful to forgive, and um, I want to move forward and be able to provide the best life I can for this child that's coming. Um, I apologize to anyone who I might have let down. I know I'm prominent back there with the youth group. Um, and in sound, and uh, just thank you guys all for the support I know you'll give. Thank you. All right, before we get there, the child's not a sin. Yeah, we want to make sure of that, That and, and Tyler's doing everything he can to uh, be the kind of father he should be and come alongside of uh, his girlfriend. I, I want you to know 
if she comes and you see that she's, you know, uh, looking a little bit pregnant, don't go, oh, they're pregnant. This is why we want to deal with this. I think it's important in a, in a church this size to get things out in the open so there is no question, there is no talk that shouldn't be there. Uh, because Tyler has gone before the Lord already and asked his forgiveness for uh, his involvement in premarital sex. And, and uh, I appreciate the fact he came and talked to me and talked to Corwin and then shared with the youth group this last Thursday and apologized for the uh, just example he may have given that is, is wrong at this point. So I, I just want to say I really respect you and appreciate what you're doing, Tyler. Thank you so much. He's not leaving us. Uh, we'll be stepping down briefly from the youth group uh, as far as a worker. He's still going to be back there on the soundboard. And uh, I, I, uh, I, I rely on Tyler because I go to David and I say, David, can we get somebody on the sound? And he says, I'll talk to Tyler. And uh, he comes and helps us out in so many different ways. So uh, I just want to talk about what does the church do when there's sin in the camp? And so you can go ahead and sit down. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Just so you'll know, um, normally when a person sins, they miss the mark. They step outside of God's will. Uh, You're not going to have to come up here and talk. Uh, somebody said, oh, is that what they do at this church? No, if that was the case, because Tyler already said it, he's a sinner, so am I. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that, and we would be spending the whole morning talking about our failings and uh, how we've messed up. So we're not going to do that. That's not our goal. But, you know, I, I think it's special in First John, in the first chapter, Beginning in the 8th verse, it says, and let me just say, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. We're going to be going through a number of different passages this morning. I really encourage you to have a Bible to follow along. This is more of a teaching time than simply a preaching time. Uh, It's kind of a family thing that we're doing this morning. I want you to be aware of that. So uh, this wouldn't necessarily typify the messages we have here, but we're going to be looking at Scripture this morning to find out what God says about how we deal with situations like this. And uh, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew 18, 15 to 18, uh, while I read in 1 John. Matthew 18, 15 to 18. But in 1 John it says, uh, On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. Oh, no, that's chapter 2. I want chapter 1. It says, if we say that we have no sin, and I believe that John was writing this to believers. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth's not in us. Another passage says, all of us sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We realize that there is uh, a failing in our lives. And uh, as I said, I was going to go back and I was going to look at the fall of man as we looked at Bible basics. And then next week, I was going to next week talk about God's answer in Jesus Christ. But uh, it says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we fool ourselves, the truth's not in us. But verse 9, here's the key, if we confess, if I say the same thing about my sin that God does, if we confess our sins, 
God is faithful and God is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We make God a liar. And his word's not in us. And so we need to realize that, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we fail. We Maybe in our thought life, it may be our spoken word, it may be our actions, it may be our deeds, it may be any number of ways that we step away from where God wants us to, but it says when we come to him and we ask his forgiveness, he forgives. The difference in Tyler's sin and maybe other sins is that nobody knows about ours. His is going to become very evident. One activity, but it becomes evident, and so we realize that when we have sinned, we come to God, and he is sufficient. He is everything we need for forgiveness, and at that time, it's a matter of love and acceptance and restoration. You know, there's a, there's a phrase, love, acceptance, and forgiveness, but the Bible says when Jesus was forgiving sin, the Pharisees said, how can he do this? Only, only God can forgive sin. And, and Jesus said, that's right. And then he told the man to pick up his bed and walk or whatever the issues were in those miraculous situations. But God forgives. And so unless the sin is directly Relating to us, it's not a matter so much of forgiveness as it is demonstrating love and acceptance for those instant issues and restoration. And I believe church discipline always deals with restoration. It's always the idea of restoring the person back to the, to the rightful place within the body, and we're going to see that this morning. But I want to take you back to Matthew. This is probably the key passage in terms of how to deal with when you see another Christian, somebody else in the church who's stepped away from the will of God. They're not living according to how God wants them to live. And beginning in the 15th verse, it says, if your brother sins, and I don't think this is just that he messed up once or he's got a little problem in his life. I, I kind of think you need to be looking at something that is a pattern, uh, something that is really part of their life. If your brother sins, going and show him his fault in private. If he listened to you, you've won your brother. So let's just stop a moment. You see a uh, brother involved in an immoral relationship. Maybe he's out of fellowship uh, in some other way. Maybe you find out that he's <laughs> taking money he shouldn't take. Or uh, he becomes a habitual liar telling things that aren't true. And you know what it says? It says you go to him. You don't tell anybody else. You don't spread it around. I think one of the, the easiest ways in the church to spread rumors is to begin to collect a bunch of prayer partners. And you call them all up and say, I'm going over to see Jerry. Man, Jerry has a real problem, and I need you to pray for me because when I talk to Jerry, I need the Lord helping me out. And, and this is what Jerry's done and you call several people, and it gets out there in the church. Well, Jerry may say, oh, you're right, I was wrong. I shouldn't do that. I'm going to change. But now 10 people know about Jerry's problem. And so if you want people to pray with you, you just say, you know, I got kind of a, an anonymous prayer request, and I pray that you just support me while I handle this. 
They don't need to know every issue. They don't need to know every detail. And you go to the person in private. You deal with it in private. It goes on in the next verse, and it says, if they don't, that individual continues on in his actions and attitudes. Verse 16 says, but if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Whose, whose safety is this? It's for yours and for Jerry's. Because what you think is sin may not be. And so you need to have those individuals with you. You don't go find your best friends. You don't go find those that are closest to you. In fact, I would say if you're in the church, maybe you should go and find somebody who's on the deacon board or somebody who's teaching that you respect, somebody who's kind of an intermediate individual who can sit down and wisely evaluate what's being said and what's going on. If we just take our friends, it's kind of like Jerry sitting there and we just kind of gang up on him. And that's not the idea here. The idea is restoration, not to just go and pull somebody down. But it says, if they don't listen, you go to verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you uh, go to 17, for if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, and a tax collector, he is no longer considered to be part of the fellowship. He has been removed from the fellowship. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 5, it talks about the idea that you don't even uh, talk to him or associate with him. There is a separation between you and that individual and between the church and that individual because he fails to uh, acknowledge his sin and, and make a change. And so we see the importance of, of dealing with this according to to God's direction. You go to the individual, you go with two or three others, you go to the church. And I would say when you go to the church, some churches, they bring it to everybody. And I've been in a situation like that, and it doesn't always work out the best. In others, I think you can go to the elder board, or you can go to the deacon board, or whoever's in leadership and sit down and talk through it and make a decision on behalf of the church. But it's just the idea that it is... Um, made in agreement, and then that person uh, would be removed. But you, I've, I've got to tell you, and I'll reiterate it time and time again, the issue of church discipline, recognizing sin, calling sin what it is, because the church should be as much as possible without sin. When we do that, it's always with the idea of restoration. It's never just with the idea of calling a person to blame. It's, it's a love act. And, and you love that person. You care about that person just as God cared about that person and, and sent his son to die for him. And I, I think that's so important. This is, uh, when I look at it, it's tough love. It's, it's not to be entered into lightly. And as I said before, it, it's to restore the erring brother or sister to the church and to maintain purity, remain, or to maintain the purity of the church. And the ultimate goal is to glorify God. It, it, that's just the reason you do it, is that God might be glorified. And sometimes it's hard because they're good friends. And yet we look at the, the lifestyle and it's not where it should be. So it's tough. 
It's tough love. I, I want to take you back to 1 Timothy. It's not enough just to talk about the average person in the church, the member of the church, but uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul speaks to the issue of the elder or the pastor. 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 19, he, he talks about how to deal with an issue ship issue with, with people in leadership. And this doesn't totally relate to Tyler, but in some ways it does because he's in leadership with our, our kids and, um, and therefore an example there. But in chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three Witnesses. In other words, if somebody comes to a member of the church board, the head of the board, or uh, somebody else in authority, and there is a pastor, an associate pastor, uh, myself, uh, Corwin, Paco, one of us, and you say, wow, they're not where they should be. The way they talk, the way they speak to people, the, the way they are with women in the church, and, and, and some of those things, you just stop and say, wow. This is a problem. But you don't receive an accusation on behalf by simply by one person. It needs to be uh, something that is, there's, there are several individuals looking and saying, yeah, there's a problem. We see this with our pastor, and we've come, and we, we're concerned about it because we love him, and we're concerned about the purity of our church, and we just believe something needs to be done. And I would, I would say at this point, you go to one of the members of our board, you come to our church, you come to one of the members of the board, and it, it goes on here and it says, uh, you come with two or three witnesses, hopefully that pastor will get his life straightened out. But those who continue in sin, verse 20, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. In other words, it's not a charge that's simply brought in private. Because if you have a person who's in leadership in the church, they now become an example, not by their sin only, but also by the fact they're confronted for their sin. That way we as a church, as a congregation, realize the seriousness of transgressing the, the word of God and the law of God and what God has for us. But make sure, make sure that what you're bringing is true. Boy, there's nothing worse than gossip that comes up that causes great problems in the church. And, and so you need to not take this lightly, but make sure it's a, it's a serious, serious issue. Um, don't destroy the church either by the sin or improper discipline methods. It's, I'll tell you the reason I'm doing this, one of the primary reasons. In a church, it's pretty easy to see things happening, and all of a sudden you sit down and talk to a friend, and gossip begins to invade the church. And it needs to be handled properly. I'm sure there are people that have already heard of the situation with Tyler. Even before Thursday night, when he talked to the youth group, uh, there were ways that, that it got out, not by Tyler, and, and there were people that heard about it, and they were beginning to respond, I'm sure, in different ways. And so you communicate. You get things out there so people know what's going on. 
You know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it's talking about the church. And it's talking about how you relate to the church and what goes on there. And it says, verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God? In this passage, it's talking about the local church. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 6, it's talking about the physical body. But this one's talking about the local church. It said, do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, in other words, he destroys the church, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. And so we see the importance of the seriousness of this. The seriousness of what's taken place. 1 Corinthians 6 is the passage that deals with the physical body and the individual, and I want to read from there as well. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 to 20. Let, let me read it for you. It says, uh, For food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. <laughs> uh, in other words, someday the, the body is going to be gone. It's just going to become dust. We return to dust. And yet somehow God resurrects it in a very special way says, yet the body is not former immorality. Uh, we live in a society today that is loose morally. Uh, the majority of people who get married today have already been living together. And so that whole idea of what's acceptable and isn't acceptable we find here. The body is not for immorality, but for, for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not raised, now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will raise us up through his power. And so there's this resurrection of the body that's going to take place. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute or someone other than your, your mate, your wife? Your husband? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to this other individual is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And he says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body... Your physical being is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So when a person is involved in an immoral act, number one, the sins against God, but number two, the sins against his own body. And I would say the sin is also against his partner, especially if he got them involved in that relationship. And so if someone sins in an immoral way like that, the sin isn't necessarily against me. It's not that I'm to always stand in judgment of everything. I'm to be there to restore and to establish that person back to where they need to be. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 8, I'm not going to read it, but there was a situation where there was a young man, and uh, he was in the church, and the Bible says he was having an affair with his, well, we don't know if it was his mother or his stepmother. It was his father's wife. And Paul said, boy, even the Gentiles don't do this. What are you doing? 
And the church was rather arrogant about it because they were accepting this. It wasn't a problem. Oh, there was, we're magnanimous. We're just loving this guy, and it's so great, and we're glad to have him here, and we just want to show you how accepting we are. And Paul said, no. At this point, he needs to be put out of the church. And so he was put out. He was no longer part of the church. He was no longer part of that fellowship. They weren't to fellowship with him. They weren't to spend time with him. But apparently things turned around because most commentators believe 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8 is about this young man coming back. If any has caused sorrow, says he's caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you, to his church. He, he caused sorrow there because of his lifestyle. But he says, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority when you put him out of the church so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. He's repented. He's come back. And what do you do? You accept him. You don't continue to judge. You draw him in and you accept him. And that's where we are. It's very easy to sometimes become judgmental of people. But the church is a place for all of us who have fallen at some time, a place where we are to be loved, we are to be accepted, and we're to be restored to the body of Christ. And so the church should be a place of, of compassion as God is compassionate and love as God is loving and caring as God is caring. And, and I think the idea is found back here in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32. Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving each other. And just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And I would just want to say to you today, this would be my hope. that it doesn't matter what your situation in life you're leaving, what you've experienced, if it's been a hard thing, if it's been an immoral issue, if it's been a relational issue that's fallen apart, if it's things that you have done in terms of substances, substance abuse, whatever. When you say, Lord, I want to be right with you. I want you where, I want to be where you want me to be. Then my prayer is that when you walk into this church, you will find a place of love, acceptance, and restoration. You should be able to find a place here that's safe, where you're cared for. We've all come from certain situations and certain circumstances, and some nobody knows about, others some people may know about. But I would hope that here, you would find a group of people that love you, and are here to support you and help you to get back to where you need to be. Because that's God's desire. I believe that beyond the shadow of a doubt. We are to be a body that loves and cares. When I think about 
Tyler, I think about how he stepped up today, and boy, I respect you for that. It's not easy to step up before a group of people and say, hey, I messed up. We use that term rather than sin a lot, or I made a mistake. It's sin. And so as Tyler has done that, our responsibility as a church is to come alongside of him and say, we're here with for you. Guys ought to come alongside of him and say, you know, Tyler, you, you may not know what you're in for yet. Can I help you out with being a dad? Being a man? And the guy that God's called you to be, that man, we ought to make that commitment to Tyler. When Katarina shows up, it's not a matter of people looking and saying, oh, that's, that's Tyler's girlfriend. Yeah, she's pregnant. No, it's walking up and saying, we're so glad you're here. Man, is there any way we can help you? How's the pregnancy coming? How are you doing? You doing okay? How can we come alongside and help? What are you going to need for the baby? How can we make sure you have it? How can we demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ? I don't know what their future holds. I don't know how, what they're going to plan. Uh, I know they want to keep the baby. But I know that uh, it's important for us as a church to grow as well. And we grow by learning to love the way God wants us to love. Why did I do this service? I, I was planning a whole different message up until yesterday. And then I you know, was thinking back, how is this all going to come together? And I thought, no, for our church... We need to talk about our responsibility. Not uh, whether Tyler fell or didn't fall or whether God's picked him up. We need to be there to help him. But we need to know what our responsibility is as church members and the body of Christ and how we display that. In this church, it should be a place of discipline when there's sin that is truly an issue. We need to know how to apply it. There needs to be Love and expect acceptance and restoration for those that come back in or have not been here before. And uh, then I'll put it in my vernacular. There should never be any stupid talk. But only that which glorifies God. And so when we look at this today, it's a, it's a lesson for us. It's a teaching time. It's not so much a, a sermon. I didn't plan on preaching a sermon when I decided to do this, but rather, what does the Bible say about how to deal with sin in the, in the church, how to respond to the sinner, and especially those now who repent, to let them know that we care about them and we love them just like God does. Let's pray, shall we? Let me just say, if, if you have questions about any of this, I'd be glad to get together and talk to you. Uh, I've seen things work out <laughs> Both ways in churches, I've seen churches where they haven't been very loving and accepting and people are pushed away. And I've seen others where they brought them in and just let them know that they love them and care for them. And so uh, I'm here to share with you if, if you have any issues you want to talk about later. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I want to thank you first of all that you love us and you're patient with us reading that just recently in the Bible, how patient you are with those who may never even come to you. talks about not being willing that any should perish within your decree. 
your desired decree. Because we know that there are those who perish. They never turn their hearts and their lives over to you. But Father, I, I just thank you for your love and the fact that you love me and each person here this morning. And as we come to you and seek your forgiveness, you forgive totally and completely. You just, sin's removed. No longer an issue between us. And I thank you, Father, for that. Now help us as a church to uh, practice purity, to strive not to do those things that are in opposition to your will. We look at the world today, and certainly there's all kinds of examples of where we don't need to be. But, Father, as we practice that, help us also to be forgiving and loving and accepting and be used as tools by you to restore those who maybe have fallen away or maybe have never come to you, and they're going to struggle with all kinds of issues from their lives. And so, Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the communion service we're going to enter into now. Uh, I pray, Father, that uh, we truly take time to thank you for your son and all he's done for us, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.